The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Tuesday, October 6th, 2015. From Slate, it's the gist. I'm Mike Pasca. Jack Dorsey is back at the helm of Twitter. The bearded CEO, the guy you'd get if you cast a CEO from the American Mail catalog, is back. Though sometimes he is clean-shaven Jack Dorsey. That's, it sometimes looks like his kid brother Trevor showed up from a break at, at graduate school at Santa Clara when clean-shaven Jack Dorsey shows up. But Jack Dorsey is currently CEO of both Twitter and the company Square. It would be cool if Twitter got bearded Jack Dorsey and Square got clean-cut Jack Dorsey. Oh, and that neither company knew what the other was doing, like when Barbarino dated the Muscarella twins, one above the boardwalk, one over. Classic Welcome Back Cotter episode. Also, Jack Dorsey was once fired by Twitter. So in a sense, they were undoing that decision, deleting that tweet. But like when you delete a tweet, everyone knows your decision is out there. I'm just proud that Twitter didn't claim they were hacked back when they fired Jack Dorsey. Though, they got a guy with half a mind on Square. You got to worry about that. It's not unheard of, right? Steve Jobs simultaneously led Apple and Pixar at one point in his career, and Elon Musk is the head of both Tesla and SpaceX, though I think those companies are kind of imaginary, aren't they? Anyway, I also think we have just figured out Silicon Valley's diversity problem. It's not that a white guy heads every firm, or it's not just that a white guy heads every firm. It's that the same two white guys head four firms, though... We do have facial hair diversity, follicular diversity. We do have that. Jack Dorsey, he's a homegrown talent, but an ingrown nightmare. On the show today, it's a special day today. On the show, in fact, the next few days, we're going to play segments from our live show. No, I shan't play the entire show because I want to make going to the live show a special experience, and it was special. It was a night that many in attendance will not soon forget, though I do have good news for those of you in Section 234 that Wolverine has come back as not contagious. Repeat, not contagious. So now let's join the live show. Picture me in actually a decently fitting suit for once. Here we go. It's Tuesday. It is Tuesday. It's Tuesday, September 29th, 2015 from Slate. It's the gist. I'm Mike Pasca. I've been to shows where that is the biggest ovation you hear in the night. Actually, the, usually the biggest ovation is the, uh, if you have cough drops, unwrap them now. People go freaking crazy for the unwrap the cough. Oh my God, I hate the wrapped cough drops. So... I guess the big news of the day, news you can use, well, there's water on Mars, but um, Donald Trump has come up with his tax plan. This is, of course, extremely momentous. And you know who I feel bad for? I feel bad for, this is uh, Joe Nocera's column in the Times, and Joe Nocera calls up Edward Kleinbard, a law professor and tax expert at the University of Southern California. And then Joe Nocera consults with uh, Robert Williams, a noted tax expert. And it's just so sad to me that people with actual experience and people with actual expertise are asked to vet Trump's tax plan. (laughs) And that they have to like call their wives and say, yeah, honey, I'm gonna be late today. Why? They asked me to look over Trump's tax plan. Like Donald Trump, the guy who talks out of his ass? Yeah, that's the guy. So some very, very sage grouses will say, well, you know, I, I watch a little Fox and they'll say, well, you know, there's a lot of good in the tax plan. And I would always caution you whenever they talk about a lot of good in any government plan. Yes, 
Those are what's known as the benefits. There is another side to that ledger, and that is the costs. And it turns out the people who looked at the tax plan says that this is going to add $11 trillion to the deficit. So like that's more money in some people's pockets, and yet it's $11 trillion. To give you some idea of what $11 trillion is, I can't, I can't imagine it. None of us can. Sort of economy destroying. You know what, so these experts, these guys, these sage people who know the Trump tax plan, I say we give them all just a break. There are plenty of people who will criticize Trump for free. In fact, Bobby Jindal, right? This is a guy, fun fact, totally obscure. He's a sitting US governor and he's running for president. Bobby Jindal, he will say anything against Trump. And it's great because it's a Republican pissing outside the tent or from the outside in or from the inside out. Anyway, there's a lot of pissing going on. And so Bobby Jindal, you just call him up and he'll, he'll bash Trump. He will do anything to get attention. He's in a desperate mood. He's like a caged beast. You don't want him to show up. He shows up. He criticizes Trump. You change the channel. There he is again. I mean, you don't need Bobby Jindal in your life, but he's omnipresent. He's like, he's like the Boingo hotspot of humans. So, but, but that, oh, oh. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, it's Julia Turner. She is Slate's editor. Julia, what uh, what brings you out here today? Mike, I'm very sorry to interrupt your first ever live gist. We've been waiting for this forever, but um, I have been at Slate for 13 years, and I am here to present you with a certificate for unprecedented humor, Boingo hotspot humor. I've been waiting for someone to make a Boingo hotspot joke for years. I feel like you finally nailed it. That can be your thing. Thank you. That, I'm, I'm so glad you gave this because, you know, Richard Lewis claims to have invented from hell, like he's the guy from hell, but he never got a certificate, so it never was official. They didn't so hang the jersey you. up in the, uh, the <laughs> awning. no rafters. So this could be used for other things, like every pop song and Rihanna's on it. You don't want Rihanna to be on it, but she always pops up doing like some, some little verse. She could... Boingo hotspot of pop songs. Excellent. And, or like... Um, uh, political analyst. Hey, let's call Dick Morris, a guy who's been wrong about everything, but we'll still put him on the news. Boingo hotspot of commentators. Excellent. Or like the uh, funny, funny, hilarious cameo in every movie. Hey, it's Ben Stiller. He'd be the... Uh... Boingo hotspot of cameos. Uh, I also, I feel this way about uh, menus like sun-dried tomatoes. Yeah. Boingo hotspot. Boingo hotspot of menu. Well, Julia, I think we uh, uh, take with our left and shake with our right. Thank you very much. Julia Turner, everyone. Wow. To get their certificate early on. No one else can use that, by the way. You were here. You saw that. All right. On the show today, too many guests to even list. And now let me introduce the first guest. She is, I did not know this until I started paying attention, the longest tenured correspondent in the history of one of our most vital institutions in the media, Longest tenure correspondent of The Daily Show, ladies and gentlemen, Samantha B. Hello. Hello, Sam. This is so 
welcoming and lovely. Isn't it? It makes me feel really short. I'm kind of sinking into the sofa slowly. There is a Wolverine in the audience. I don't know if you have allergies. I appreciate that. I I need to do a trigger warning. I brought the Wolverine. It's mine. Now, Sam, I know know you are a mom. I know you are are starting your own show. Yes. I know you are a Canadian, so therefore I can Uh, ask. That's the secret. Are you you a drinker? I am not really a drinker, but I will drink and then it will loosen my tongue and I'll say things I regret. Is that what you're hoping for? That's convenient because <laughs> over at well, over at the bar, we have Chris Wirtz, who's our bartender. Hi. He's one of the authors of Brooklyn Cocktails, along with Peter Fornatel. Hey, Chris, how you doing? How are you? Thanks for having me. Have you made a drink for us today? That's a leading question. Hold on. Let me ask an open-ended question. Hey, Chris, what's going on? No, not much. I made a drink for you tonight. You made a drink? Inspired a drink. by our environs. This is um, inspired by the Italians that flooded into the borough about 100 years ago and couldn't afford a Coca-Cola, so they improvised one with what they had. Fernet Branca, an uber, uber ingredient right now and a little sweet vermouth. It's called the Fernet About It. Fernet About It. Fernet About nice. It in honor of Brooklyn. I like that. What is, what is Fernet? That's a brand of vodka? No, no, no. Fernet is an Italian Amaro made of herbs and oh. tastes like stuff that makes your face numb. All right. Oh. A little sweet vermouth and lemon, and it's heaven. That is, that is uh, very Italian, very herbaceous. Is that this? Do you have one here? That's right there. Cheers. Okay, all right. All right. Let's, let's get okay, it I'm doing it. Chin, chin. Here we go. Fernet about it. Okay. It's good. I like oh. it. Cheers. Cheers. Oh, man. Oh, it's... Hmm. Um, <laughs> it's supposed it's to make your lips numb. Is like it working? Like a Ricola cough drop mm-hmm. melted yeah. into you want one of those big Nordic a, horns? a yeah. gallon of alcohol. <laughs> so I like it. Yeah. It's exactly. good for you. It's health food. Thank you, Chris. Thank you for this, by the way. Thank Chris you. Wirtz, he'll be mixing drinks all night. Did you see The Daily Show last night? I did. What were your emotions while watching it? Do you know it? what? I went to The Daily Show last really? night. Yeah, I did. That's because nice. I wanted to be supportive. And of course, I love all the people there. But I did. I sat in the control room because I didn't want to freak anybody out, of course. And it was a really great experience. I'm so glad that I went. What so percent glad. of the staff of the interstru- infrastructure stayed? A large percentage. I would say. I, I would say upwards of ninety percent of people stayed. A lot of pe- most people stayed. And I almost thought that while while I was watching it, it reminded me of um, inauguration day, uh-huh. where a serious anchor would intone the peaceable transfer of power. <laughs> right. I know. And then Trevor Noah did what the new. Um, mm-hmm. Officials should do thank the old guy. Of course, it was very smooth, very smooth transition. It very seemed smooth. heartfelt. It doesn't matter if it wasn't because it seemed heartfelt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that's all you need. But yep. it's also it's also really smart for him to do that because you know there aren't too many people who are just tuning in for him. They're all John Stewart fans, so mm-hmm. it's it's also hard to like comedy if you're not open to liking the comedy. So you know you have to really kind of get on people's good side in order for the jokes to land. You I do. Think. I think that they knew, and I think rightly so. I think they knew if they really upended the whole format, then you really are kind of... They didn't want to burn the house down and then rebuild it from nothing. I think 
they can make the transition. It's like turning a cruise ship around. It's like bringing a cruise ship into port. You know, it takes a little while. You have to gently, you have to bring people along with the change. Yes. And unlike one of those cruise ships with an Ebola outbreak, this thing was working well. well. That is true. <laughs> yes. No, it worked a lot better than an Ebola cruise ship. I mean, the, crashing I, into <laughs> an iceberg. Yes. Compared to the Ebola cruise ship, the Daily <laughs> Show is right. a little better. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think, I mean, it was my sense that I didn't see any slip in John's game. I mean, if he needed to leave, that I, who, can, who could doubt him? But I think he was still, you know, at the top of his game. Yeah. And therefore, it's a vital show. And why would you want to burn it down? That's a formula that works. And I think that when he left, he did so strategically in order to give the next host a good shot at getting rolling because the election is coming up. And that yep. really is, um, you know, that is our meat that yes. is our, our meat and our gravy. I think I'm supposed to say another phrase. It's not meat and gravy. It's something else. Bread and butter. No, that's not it. I forget. I'm drunk. I had three sips of a crazy Italian drink. It's meat It's meat and biltong, which is the <laughs> South right. African beef jerky, I believe. Delicious. Yeah. I once had I love it. A, one, of, one of those uh, hoppy gazelle versions of biltong when I was in <laughs> oh South God. Africa. Did it hop by? Did you choose it? Did it hop, hop past you? <laughs> yeah, that's right into nice. my mouth. <laughs> that's beautiful. I think the phrase, as disgusting as you'd think it be, would be uh, associated with that. <laughs> How, so, so Trevor Noah is 31 years old. He's from South Africa. Uh-huh. You are, as I noted, you're Canadian. Originally, I'm an American citizen Congratulations. This will actually be the first time that I vote in one of your crazy elections. Yeah. I took the test and everything. I'm a true citizen. Is Fiorina making inroads, maybe, huh? (laughs) (laughs) She got your vote? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We're like this. Before you became the longest tenured correspondent at the Daily the oldest, Show, say the it. oldest, it's okay, oldest, most Before senior you became citizen, the wizened, gray bearded, the crone Daily of the Daily Show, the, the bent over, That's hunched right. over. Come here and answer my questions. Uh, how long? How long had you been in America? Because I, I want to know about the learning curve of American I to, politics. I came to America to do the show. Okay, I, I did. But in Canada, we're fascinated by American politics, so it was not a ste- as steep a learning curve as it will be for him. But it still seems okay, right? Because South Africa is not. But it does still seem that it's one thing to have lived in this system and to know, you know, the bullshit of the Republican caucus, and mm-hmm. another thing to be introduced to it and you say, "My God, the Republican caucus is bullshit." Right, so, right. so my question is, <laughs> my question is. Is it better to have the view of the outsider, like you were for the first time saying, guys, do you realize how crazy it is? Or were some subtleties kind of missing you? And those subtleties maybe were comic opportunities. Well, they were comic opportunities for me because I I think a little bit of both, I will say, because when I started going to conventions, I mean, I really, I started and then immediately, almost immediately went to like dove into the election process within the year. And so I had access to all these crazy people who I didn't really know who they were. So I just asked them any old question. I was like, I don't know who you are. I'll say anything to you. (laughs) And that was very, that was an effective tool for me. But then that was quite nice, actually. There was no, people couldn't believe the things that I would say because I was like, who's that? And they were like, it's a congressman from Montana. And I was like, oh, I don't know. Um... But then you know there there was a there was a bit of a I had there was some learning that I had to do there's no question. He's doing that. I'm sure he's doing I'm sure he's doing practice sessions after war, you know. 
because he's obviously a charismatic guy and he's got mm -hmm. good comic timing. But of course, there is a difference between making jokes about current events and actual satire. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's going to be a learning curve. But he, he, he could be sitting right here right now. We could have him here. We could talk about it with him. No. No. He's doing a show right He's now. He's booked tonight, yeah. I think. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, watch, I watch John Oliver. Uh -huh. Do you watch John Oliver? Of course. He's great, right? He's great. I want, and Do you know our new offices? I'm literally, I don't know if I can, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this. I'm literally sharing his studio space. <laughs> we are going to be doing our shows from the exact same Does studio. Does HBO know that? Or is no, it like a sneak in at the middle? we have not told them yet. Um, the set will be really familiar to you. I'm just going to like sneak in on Monday mornings and do my own show. It's going to be so fun. He's going to love it. <laughs> so the, the, you know, children, I was listening to my friend Brooke Gladstone do an interview and she cited, there she is, front row. Oh, oh. <laughs> she cited Hi. public opinion polls. You know, it used to be that Walter Cronkite was listed as the most trusted person in America. Mm -hmm. Now, Jon Stewart was the one who was most trusted. In and next, Samantha B. Samantha Bay. Right? But you have the children. You have the children of uh, The Daily Show. You have Larry Wilmore crushing it on his show. You have John Oliver. I hope Trevor Noah does well. I very much hope that you do well. Do you think that... Thank you, Mike. Yes. It's definitely a combination of him picking the right people, but there had to also be a certain alchemy with the show. Like mm -hmm. it had to have taught you guys how to satirize, how to connect, how to both tell the truth in a way that went down really pleasantly. Sort of like this drink. The, well, yes, it does go down very smoothly. Well, I mean, the, pro the, the process is pretty... Listen, it's a, still a job and you have to do your, you have to execute your job every day. So that learning, I wouldn't say that you're really all that aware of it. You're kind of learning by osmosis. You're being sent out to Des Moines to, you know, to do God knows what, and you're running around with a camera. So all of the learning happens, but it's not like, it's not a really conscious process. Was there ever a moment when the target certainly could have been skewered, but you just said, you know, that's, that's too mean. I can't do that. Absolutely. To this. I mean, that happened all the time that happened. It would surprise you to learn how often we pulled back and how much footage that we would get of people and, and absolutely not use it because it was just, it was life destroying the right. things that they would say. I mean, when you put a camera in someone's face, it's a confusing experience if you're not really used to it. And I do understand that. And we were very, very conscious of that. And then there were times when we would reveal people to be who they truly were, and they did not enjoy that experience <laughs> at all. They did not see themselves in that particular yeah. manner in which we all saw them. Right. It's like, look, I just happen to know that God doesn't like gay people. That's why are right. You, why I are mean, you so mean to that's me? That's just a fact. <laughs> I'm just saying the facts. I have to have more of this delicious drink. Absolutely. When you would when you would pull back, uh, let's talk about the calculation. Was it like we have to be kind to this person, even though she deserves it, he deserves it, or was it more like, you know, if we're seen as too mean, we're gonna lose the audience? No, no, no. There was never any consideration for the audience. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to worry about that. Uh, no, I think that we listen to our own moral compass. I think you don't go into a field piece hoping to ruin some. Like, not at all. You want to make a point. Uh, you know, there's the flip side to that is sometimes we would interview people who were so heinous. And in the end, we would just kill that interview and not use it because we just didn't want to bring any attention to them. It just yeah. wasn't worth it to us. It was 
you know, it was, it, you, you, in some ways when you resuscitate a bad idea from the dead and you have the option to put it on your show, maybe we would hold back in those cases as well. Was one of those people Bobby Jindal? <laughs> he is being rather odious lately, isn't he? <laughs> I think my favorite, maybe it's not my favorite piece you've ever done, but when they um, played a bunch of your pieces on your goodbye show. They... I, well, while I was weeping? Oh, yeah, God. Yeah. yeah. They, it was the 2008 convention, how mm-hmm. everyone was falling over themselves, congratulating Bristol Palin for having her baby. And <laughs> right. you, right. And right. you <laughs> made all these Republican uh, mm-hmm. talking heads tie themselves in knot, not saying the word choice. Well, you know, it was when brilliant. we went to that convention and it was as though everyone had received a memo that morning that they were just not permitted to say the word choice. And so they just could not say it. They just refused to say it. And we went out there for, you know, for a full 12 hours. I worked so hard to get people just to say the word choice. I just wanted to hear it one time. <laughs> Just one goddamn time, and it took all day. Yeah. It was one of the most harrowing experiences. I got chased. People chased me. They were so angry. They just did not enjoy seeing their, you know, seeing that, seeing it laid out for them. It was a very interesting experience. Somewhere in an alternative universe, there is a conservative version of The Daily Show trying to get Democrats to say life. <laughs> I know, I know. What's that cereal Mike you liked? <laughs> <laughs> what's the uh, what's that mean? <laughs> Tell me about the new show on TBS. Yes, well, it's called Full Frontal, and we were putting it together now, and. Um, I can't tell you the level of excitement that I'm feeling about putting this show together. It was so far we have a very small team of really amazing people. We've got the head writer is this woman who is just she's like a national treasure, just nobody knows it yet. And we are so we're not on until January. We're on the last the last week of January is going to be our first show, and we were just watching all that's of great. this so amazing it's right stuff. The Super Bowl. It's perfect yeah, it's for album. us. I mean, that's really our crowd, so <laughs> I think it will be fine. Um, <laughs> we're, yeah, we're just watching all of these great news stories go by, and we can't believe it. We just keep writing down ideas for stories that won't. Well, many of them still will exist in January, I suppose. But is it uh, is it it's going to be weekly? It's going to be weekly. It's going to be once a week. Is yes. it going to be what's the format? You in a desk, you in a fake anchor chair has God damn it. If I sit behind a desk, I might as well just I mean, I might as well just burn the set down. I don't really want it to look like that. Yes. I'm being very diligent and thoughtful about making it a different type of television experience while still pursuing the ideas that I'm passionate about. I don't know. I mean, this thought just hit me, but mm-hmm. maybe it's the fact that, not the fact, but maybe the idea is that a desk is the extension of the penis, but all, <laughs> all the desk the just men... keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger <laughs> and bigger. I'm going to have a full, like a full head to toe desk. Mine's going to be a standing desk and it's going to span the entire studio. But Chelsea Handler didn't have a desk. <laughs> no. You're not going to have a desk. And I've exhausted my list of females no who mostly tables. Night shows. Yeah, no tables <laughs> permitted. No coffee tables, no desks, no lecterns. <laughs> and you're doing another show with your husband starring? I am. And- we shot that over the summer. Um, Jason Jones is my husband and he was a correspondent on the show for many years. I like him too. <laughs> um, That's good. We shot a show called The Detour over the summer 
in Atlanta and we are posting it right now here in the city and I'm so proud of it. I mean, it's, listen, it's a, it's a half hour of scripted comedy, but it is so funny. I love it so much. I cannot wait for people to see it. I mean, truly, I'm so proud of it. It's on TBS also? It's going to be on TBS also. I like TBS. You well, love now TBS. now you do. Listen, there I mean, are... I, like, I like the American President, Look, uh, that Rob Reiner movie they play I know sometimes. when you go on TBS <laughs> and you see those reruns of Two Broke Girls, you can't wait to oh, see what their original program sassy. is going to be. We're they're both broke, but they got fucked. <laughs> they sell Also, cupcakes. no desks. No Neither of the broke girls. And, you know, on my show, we're just going to sell cupcakes. It's going to be so fun. A whole cast of characters from Dinette, the neighborhood comes Dinette in. outfits, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Samantha B., I want to thank you very much. I thank you. I feel like I could talk all night. This is nice. I'm just going to stay. And now, if you would stay with us, I'd like to bring out just mainstay Maria Konnikova as we go Yay! over Is That Bullshit. Okay, so Maria, on the way in, people filled out cards. The cards were a salmon or pink color, and I have them here. <laughs> so what I'd like to do is uh, throw to you some of these questions for Is That Bullshit? And Sam B., you are an excellent fake expert. Thank you so, so Maria much. is not going to answer the questions now. Maria is going to go back and actually research the questions to give you some scientific oh, answers. Oh, interesting. Okay. You're actually so going to answer I'm the questions. I'm actually going to answer yes. the questions. Like in a long, in-depth manner? Yes. Absolutely. Just, I'm just going to do thumbs up, thumbs down. If you, could, if you could cite double-blind surveys, Perfect. that would be good. Those are the best. Random okay. control. <laughs> Maria, how do you do it, by the way? I mean, what is your? what do you look up? Give us a little insight as to into the process of vetting the bullshit. Well, I meditate, and uh -huh. then the answer just magically appears to me. That's, all you that's need. bullshit. <laughs> that is <Yeah>. scientific <laughs> fact. No, I am. Um, so I, especially if it's an area I don't know much about, I figure out who the best experts are. I quickly read what they have to say about it. I look up studies that are in reputable journals that are double-blind, controlled, randomized, if possible. Uh-huh. And some meta-analyses are good. Yeah. Do you want me to throw some more big words out there? No, that's then... good. <laughs> Sam, what's your method? Oh, my method <laughs> is to drink a delicious cocktail that tastes <laughs> vaguely of licorice and, uh, and just breathe. Just breathe and let it out. Let all the pee flow. Let's go through a couple of them. Liquor before beer, you're in the clear. Beer before liquor, never sicker. Bullshit? It's a good one. Now, I'll give That's you my take. One. I don't know if it's bullshit or not, but in case it's not, I down a fifth of Drambuie every day. So I think that I'm gets you up. That just gets you up to, yeah. to zero, and right. then you can begin your day. That's yeah. my baseline. That's your baseline. Excellent. That is a very sensible approach to life. Do you think that might be bullshit or not bullshit? Sam? Beer before liquor. Yeah. Never I do think that's bullshit. Yeah. I, that is bullshit. <laughs> so that's that's one possibility. Bullshit. Yeah. Here's another one. Is ginger? Well, let's let's phrase it in the in is that bullshit format. Ginger. Good for your digestion? Is that bullshit? I'll get that. Um, <laughs> I, you know, ginger is said ginger. to do everything. Ginger is a miracle root, and that has been proven by years of 
personal studies that I have done <laughs> and also uh, for generations in my family uh, ginger ale was served to me at the first onset of any type of nausea and I can say fact that is factually correct that it is good for your digestion sort of that's good that by the way more compelling than the claims about vaccines the last Republican debate <laughs> oh god uh, oh. Is there any cre- this is right up my alley. Is there any credibility to the idea of aligning your period with the lunar cycle? Okay. Well, I will tell you. I will tell you. In the 3 minutes that we've been sitting together, we yeah. synchronized our periods. We did. As well as with every actually just li- if you bar those doors, everyone in this room is going to be menstruating by 9 p.m. Yeah. Even the men. And the last one is, ooh, this is good. This is a perennial. Does going outside with wet hair make you more likely to get sick? So I guess would be, boop, wet hair. Wet hair (laughs) makes you sick. Is that bullshit? Icicle hair. Yeah. My hair turns into icicles. I defer to you. You're Canadian. Well, what happens to your hair when it gets wet? (laughs) Is that... No, that's not a... No, I'm... It made... Why did I do that? That's... I Most of the fair. time I see my hair, it is fair. on the bottom of the shower, <laughs> and it is wet. All right, so of these, I'm gonna, we're, we're going to maybe ask the audience a little bit, but does anyone jump out at you, Maria, as one that you think would be, you'd get a good answer for in researching? They're all bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> I love the ske- skepticism. Do you think there's going to be beer before liquor studies? If there are, I would really love to know about uh, yeah, them. Yeah, that'll be useful yeah, for tonight. The ginger thing, I think we'll do a whole ginger... Um, you do a whole ginger podcast. Ginger cast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah. Panoply Network will That's rebrand like itself as yeah. the ginger network. Yeah. And then we got the, your period in the lunar cycle and wet hair. Do you guys... Uh, let me, let me uh, put it up to vote. Do you guys want to know about liquor before beer? I want to know about that. Yeah. Yes. Do yeah. you guys want to know about your period in the lunar cycle? Yeah. <laughs> The guys do. Very enthusiastic in the front row. Really wants to know about, oh, yeah. Do you guys want to know about wet hair and getting sick? All right, so I I think the crowd wants liquor before beer. You think you could do that? I'll do my best. All right, thank you, guys. Maria is going to research that. Sam B is going to leave, but we are going to say thank you so much. Thank you. Now let's pause from this on stage, Samantha, Marie, and I. And what we're going to do is we're going to bring it back to the studio. I'm here at the studio now. And we're going to bring in Maria. Because even though Maria did answer the question about beer before liquor in front of the live audience, I didn't really give her a lot of time to expand on her remarks. So I'm going to do that now, a full and detailed explanation. And in the spirit of that... And also, during the live show, a little distraction, that unfortunate episode where the chimp scurried free. Again, you got to come to these live shows. Crazy stuff happens. But now, Maria Konnikova. So what'd you find? So I found that people are actually quite interested in this question. Very good. Of whether or not, you know, how we drink and what we drink actually matters. And they've been interested in this for over 100 years. So the earliest work I could find came from England, of course, because England... Yeah. A nation of big drinkers. Alcohol. And there was this guy named Edward Mallenby. And he came up with what we now know about alcohol, which is that 
the higher the percentage alcohol, the faster you get drunk. Wow, Mallonby. But that was called the Mallonby effect. He's the one who gave it its name. And, you know, now it seems like common sense, but before they actually had to try to figure this out. And so that is actually the single most important thing, thing that you need to remember. So what that means is that beer gets you drunk more slowly. Mm-hmm. Liquor gets you drunk more quickly. Mm-hmm. And so it depends on your preferences and what you're actually trying to accomplish. So let's let's try to parse this <laughs> beer before liquor or liquor before beer and what actually happens. So if you're drinking beer first, mm-hmm. you're probably going to end up consuming more mm-hmm. because you are drinking a lot. You're not feeling that drunk. Then if you switch to hard alcohol, your mouth doesn't actually realize that you've switched. You're going to be drinking at the exact same rate. Your body, however, has realized that there's been a switch. And so when that happens, you start getting very drunk very quickly because you already have so much alcohol in the system. And we know that the thing that matters most of all is the total amount of alcohol consumed. Right. And actually, um, in 2007, another British guy from the University of Manchester decided to test how this would actually play out. That's what he told the missus after a three-day bender, at least. <laughs> so he started with this premise um, that he actually studied, that mixed drinks are actually pretty bad because they enter the bloodstream pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. And it's worse than shots because what happens with a shot is it just kind of goes through. You get drunk right away. Mm -hmm. A mixed drink sits there because it's more dilute. And so you get drunk all of a sudden, but it's a much more gradual process and it's delayed. So you don't actually realize what's going to happen. Wait, what do you mean you get drunk all of a sudden, but it's delayed? So, so, so basically you're not drunk, you're not drunk. Okay. You keep drinking, and then, and then all of a sudden yep. you're drunk. When you take a shot, you feel it. Yeah. You, you feel it quite quickly. You say, whoa. You know, and within a few minutes, within 10 minutes, you're definitely feeling some effects. When you're doing a mixed drink, you're like, oh, you know, I feel good. This doesn't feel alcoholic at all. You know, I say that to myself when I'm drinking my second pitcher of sangria all the time. Yeah. And so what happens when you drink first hard alcohol is that it, you're drunk. It goes through your system. There's nothing sitting there. You're just drunk. Yeah. What happens when you drink first beer and then you switch is the beer is actually still sitting in your stomach. And so you end up, and he has this lovely image, that you're making a mixed drink in your stomach. (laughs) Because by the time the hard alcohol comes, the beer is still there. So you have a really disgusting sounding beverage. Yeah, it's like a a Pilsner IPA vodka drink. Exactly. And it's all in your stomach. Yeah. But is this is this about sickness or is this about drunkenness? So it's about it's about drunkenness. Yeah. And drunkenness is about sickness. That's right? true. Yeah. Because the drunker you are, the worse your hangover. But this guy from the University of Manchester also found that one thing that is not in this particular saying matters, carbonation. Ah. Because carbonation also does the same thing. It distends the stomach. So it all you know, just like dilution. And so he did this really interesting study where he had people drink vodka with either sparkling water or flat water. Mm -hmm. And he found that... delicious vodka, flat water. (laughs) Who doesn't like that? And he found that with the the flat water, it was a pretty steady increase. And with the sparkling water, there was actually a spike. The blood alcohol suddenly went up. Does seem, if you know you're going to do two, three drinks of each, 
optimize it by doing your hard liquor without carbonation, just doing your hard mm-hmm. liquor, you know you're drunk, then drink a couple beers. Because if you drink all your beers and then you drink your hard liquor, it might sneak up on you and ruin things. Exactly. And you're probably going to end up consuming more overall, which is your end Your end game is to consume less alcohol if you don't want to be sick the next morning. Right. And so if you try to game the system. So we could rule liquor before beer, never fear, beer before liquor, never sicker. Bullshit. Yeah, we should rule it bullshit because it's just something that at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Yeah. All that matters is the quantity consumed. However, it's not total bullshit because if you use it as a rule of thumb, it might help you personally monitor quantity if you're worried about that. Maria Konnikova, author of Mastermind, How to Think Like Sherlock Holmes in the Confidence Game, and several tipsy British researchers agree. Thank you, Maria. Thank you, Mike. That's it for today's show. More of the live show this week. Wednesday and Thursday, we're going to play more excerpts, though not the whole thing. Anyway, Andrea Salenzi, the Just producer, believes in the old adage, Mucinex before NyQuil, always tranquil. Mucinex after NyQuil, pretty frightful. Andy Bowers, our executive producer, lives by a simple credo. Cilantro before lemongrass, kick ass. Lemongrass before cilantro. Don, a shitstorm poncho. The gist on the cutting edge of the medium known as podcast. Now, there have been a lot of other cutting edge media in the past. There's a simple mnemonic to remember which ones have staying power. Podcast before daguerreotype lives up to the hype. Daguerreotype before podcast just won't last. Um, Peru, de Peru, du Peru, and thanks for listening. <laughs>